Minimum wage. The Fair Labor Standards Act set the first U.S. minimum wage of 25 cents an hour in 1938. At the time, then-President Franklin D. Roosevelt passed it as part of the New Deal to protect workers during the Great Depression. 83 years later, what are the effects of this national policy in isolated economies like those in the U.S. territories? Can, in fact, prosperity be legislated? A hot-button issue from St. Croix to Pongo Pongo to Adeloupe. A big lift on this important matter on That's It, That's All. You are listening to That's It, That's All with Sean Gamatato. That's It, That's All with Sean Gamatato is brought to you by Get LLC. They are a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm in Guam and Micronesia. Need guidance on setting up a small business? How does an energy-efficient light help your bottom line? Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. From Tarlac City, the Philippines, to Ukiah, California, to Santa Rita, Guam, the listenership is growing, and from areas near and far, and I guess every driver road trip needs a familiar voice. That's me. Also, we love how the input is helping us make the podcast better with each and every episode. So don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family and drop us a line to tell us how we are doing. Okay, a little bit of history before we jump into this episode. Warning in advance if the material makes you just a bit crazy. The territories have a rich history as part of the American family. Puerto Rico was the first to become a part of the United States following the conclusion of the Spanish-American War in 1900. Guam followed in 1950. The U.S. Virgin Islands became an unincorporated territory four years later in 1954. American Samoa became a part of the USA, though unorganized, in 1960, and the Northern Mariana Islands joined the American family in 1978 with the eventual dissolution of the Trust Territories of the Pacific in 1986. Health, education, and public safety have always seemed to rule the day relative to the creation and execution of public policy across all the territories and the 3.5 million people who call these important American communities home. Over 120 years later, there is one policy that continues to challenge both policymakers and private sector organizations alike, the minimum wage. Many times, federal bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. have scratched their heads, asking why the territories have had so much trouble in implementing this policy. As we all know, the purpose of minimum wage law is to prevent employers from exploiting desperate workers. It has been said and written that the minimum wage should provide enough income to afford a living wage or the amount of money earned by an employee needed to provide enough food, clothing, and shelter for their livelihoods and their families. The merging of culture and a lack of appropriate infrastructure to include job training, policy, and financial resources seems to have always posed a struggle for the territories to overcome on this long road to fulfilling its own respective self-government destinies. With each passage of a minimum wage increase has come simultaneous changes across the states and territories, so we thought. American Samoa and the Northern Mariana Islands resisted the longest, and today their economic development has been negatively impacted to meet the need to keep their communities working. The others have adjusted, but did so as the cost of living has risen faster than the pace of the wage growth. 
All areas suffer from workforces that cannot meet the needs of modern American needs and wants from industry and government alike. If we were sitting on a lanai somewhere in any one of these gems in the Pacific or the Caribbean, the following arguments will always remain. Increasing the minimum wage can boost productivity, reduce income inequality, spur economic growth, promote education and improve retention. But increased minimum wages are unfunded mandates of Congress or territorial legislatures, increases labor costs, penalizes labor-intensive industries, increases outsourcing, unemployment, poverty, and the cost of living. Do the pros of such policy outweigh the cons in our isolated island communities? How many people are in fact impacted by a policy change of the minimum wage? Where do we all sit relative to the rest of the American family? This podcast will do its best to push out some answers to these and the effect of it in my backyard. You are listening to That's It, That's All. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business-specific needs. Okay, as of this podcast, there is a push by the incoming American President Joe Biden to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. It has been $7.25 an hour since 2009. Since 1938, there's only been nine amendments to the federal minimum wage law. Now, the sneaky idea to slip this significant policy change in is not in some standalone measure, but within the COVID-19 relief proposal or the American Rescue Plan that he rolled out just before Inauguration Day. Put this into perspective. 14 states, the Northern Marianas, Puerto Rico, and American Samoa, have minimum wage rates equal to the federal minimum wage. Five states have no law or no local law mandating such. Georgia and Wyoming have lower rates. The remaining states, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands have set rates above the federal minimum wage. So, why increase the minimum wage? Two points to frame this. Fewer people are making the minimum wage, and exempt workers like high school students, people with disabilities, and tipped employees in the service industries make less. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, The percentage of hourly paid workers earning the current federal minimum wage or less went down from 2.1% in 2018 to 1.9% in 2019. That's down from 13.4% in 1979. In total, 1.6 million workers earn wages at or below the current federal minimum wage of $7.25. Okay, a crazier number from BLS. Although workers aged or under age 25 represented only about 20% of hourly paid workers, they made up about 40% of those paid the federal minimum wage or less. Almost 1.8 million workers earn less than the minimum wage because they are exempt. That's a lot of people in the service industry. Now, how many people are in fact impacted by a policy change of the minimum wage in Guam? Well, that number 
is approximately 3,000, just over 4% of the total workforce in March 2019, that according to the Guam Department of Labor. Surely now, that number is impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, when the federal law changed in American Samoa, and this was back in 2007, 80% of eligible workers there at the time earned less than $7.25. The expectation is Pongo and the rest of Tutuia will be at the federal level by the year 2027. 14,416 workers, or about 40% of the nearly 36,000 members of the workforce, were impacted by minimum wage increases in the U.S. Virgin Islands that started two years ago there. The Weekly Journal in San Juan last week reported a push of the minimum wage upward that is before lawmakers there, and it will positively affect, according to them, 300,000 residents across Puerto Rico. Our neighbors to the north in Saipan remain bogged down with implementing federal plans for minimum wage there. That's a process that is part of a five-year plan that started last year. So a couple of things. Research shows that a minimum wage can increase the number of jobs in an economy. Well, I don't think they are thinking there would be a pandemic in the middle of this consideration of a policy change. Research can show there could be increases in jobs, but have they ever asked those in the marketplace? Also, businesses will just find other ways to offset higher labor costs by raising prices or reducing the number of hours worked. Uh, With it, we'll see worker morale, productivity, and consumer spending all increase. Or will it? Many, including our small business, um, are keeping a close eye on this because for us, We would like to invest back into different things, as do other businesses. But will it really um, have worker morale go up, productivity and consumer spending, considering many businesses uh, on Guam, they do pay above the minimum wage? Also, the pros only outweigh the cons if the minimum wage isn't too high. Interesting thing that policymakers will look at the idea that something can't be too high. Last I checked, they don't use very many, if any, economists to really drive public policy, especially with minimum wage, looking at all industries, okay, from farming to the service industries to manufacturing, you name it. Also, wages can't be so high that they reduce a company's ability to keep labor costs low during a recession. The territories are facing this now during the pandemic for so many reasons and across so many sectors. So when we think about recession, Man, we've been looking at this since last year. I mean, I think when we looked at how the economy was was rolling uh, at the start of 2020, and then on a drop of a dime in March, it came to a grinding halt. So when we think about this now, is it reasonable to believe that in setting a minimum wage, the government has to find the sweet spot between protecting workers and giving businesses the flexibility that they need to remain competitive with the rest of the region? the American marketplace, and the world, it is reasonable um, to, to believe that you can set a minimum wage. But we have to like consult with the private sector, uh, see where the economy is headed, um, look at all the different factors that um, influence our economy. Obviously, maybe in, uh, in Puerto Rico, they're looking at 
Um, obviously, they're recovering right now from storm and uh, and problems in the government. In the USVI, they have, uh, I believe, they have oil refineries and some some sense of manufacturing relative to the rum industry. In the CNMI, they are also reeling. Uh, their economy is hurting from what's happening uh, to storm a couple years ago. American Samoa, they're also trying to pick up the pieces as well, and especially after the tuna industry has uh, was decimated because of the federal minimum wage law was uh, raised. But when we think about what happens there, you know, how do we remain commit, uh, competitive with the rest of the world and the marketplace? People will go to other places to to do manufacturing, to do different things, uh, if it's cheaper than doing it um, out in the territories. In the region and the world, there are many other places that are way cheaper to do business, and we have to find better ways to uh, to take care of these things. And at times, I think we're always going to be challenged to do so. And so when we think about this issue, it becomes very important when we think about implementing federal policy, especially minimum wage in the in the areas of the Pacific and in the Caribbean, that there's many other things that will lean on it as well. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business-specific needs. Welcome back. I live on Guam, and the Guam minimum wage sits at $8.75 an hour. Where does that place us? Well, our nearest competitor, or our big brother, the state of Hawaii, uh, their minimum wage is $10.10 and that's an hour, there's a mandate to raise Guam's minimum wage by 50 cents in the next two months. So what does this mean for us here? Well, a 2019 analysis by the Congressional Budget Office, they concluded that raising hourly pay for employees, this is nationwide, to $15 an hour would have both positive and negative effects nationwide. They said in an average week in 2025, the $15 option would boost the wages of 17 million workers who would otherwise earn less than $15 an hour. Another 10 million workers otherwise earning slightly more than $15 an hour might see their wages rise as well. That's according to the CBO. And the number of people with annual income below the poverty threshold in 2025 would fall by 1.3 million. But interestingly, the same analysis concluded this. 1.3 million other workers, it's a quote, 1.3 million other workers would become jobless, again, according to the CBO's median estimate. The Congressional Budget Office noted, quote, there is a two-thirds chance that the change in employment would be between about zero and a decrease of 3.7 million workers. And believe it or not, uh, younger workers would account for 46% of the job losses. Also, the Congressional Research Service, the nonpartisan research arm of Congress, made a similar observation in a August 2019 report about minimum wages, noting, quote, a previous consensus that increasing the minimum wage reduces employment, at least among teenagers, has been challenged by numerous recent studies 
suggesting little or no disemployment effects of minimum wage increases. So there's simply no way to know for sure if jobs will be lost or just how many. And don't forget that the pandemic is continuing. We are already almost a year now in a pandemic, and some of these numbers aren't really reflecting that. Uh, A bit closer to home, a public hearing was held by the Guam legislature this past week on Bill number 24-36 to push back a 50-cent increase of minimum wage to March 2022 that was set in statute back in 2019. Now, there was a whole host of people that were in attendance to testify, uh, including the Guam Chamber of Commerce, who last February noted in their testimony that they've been seeing the actual impacts, seeing people shut down their businesses. Uh, The Guam Hotel and Restaurant Association, they were also um, present. They talked about the idea that they have seen across their industry over 35,000 layoffs in our number one industry, which is tourism. Now, when they were looking at, I think, the GHRA had made mention that that's a, you know, they're seeing about a 49% decrease in in total business activity when 15,000 people became unemployed somewhere around the March, April, May timeframe, people really were very, very deeply concerned. I want to share this really quick uh, tidbit with you. Economics, or sorry, economists at Miami and Trinity universities have found that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour would cost the hospitality industry more than 1 million jobs, including nearly 700,000 held by tipped workers. Now, I mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast that those tipped workers really are going to be the largest group of folks affected by any such um, minimum wage type of um, adjustment. Even the largest player in our tourist district in Tumon, uh, PHR, Ken Micronesia, Inc., and our friends over at the Guam Premier Outlets, they talked about large-scale ramifications to, one, keeping a minimum wage hike in March intact, but petitioned and practically uh, uh, you know, urged them uh, almost at their knees asking the legislature to, uh, to pass this bill uh, and do so as quickly as possible. I was remarking to a friend uh, in, in the local broadcast uh, business that this particular measure could be one of the most important measures by the Guam legislature over the past year. I think they would also look at the last budget act, which reduced about $6 million from total government expenditures, even though now they're tracking at least an $11 million shortfall uh, for the next fiscal year. Let me just think, uh, let me bring up a couple of different things if I could. Uh, Minimum wage in many ways, is more of a political action versus a market reaction. Uh, I want to say on this podcast, and I'll just be very blunt, politicians need to get out of the way and let industry drive wages. You know, uh, we're all part of that now, and it's evident um, with us and other states doing this. And throughout our nation's history, financial independence has been the essence of the American dream. And lawmakers Well, they do have some kind of responsibility to ensure government does not impose economic barriers that interfere with that independence. You know, they should really help us and and listen to experts and listen to the market. 
several days before this podcast, believe it or not, Democrats reintroduced the Raise the Wage Act. That's a bill that would increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025. Uh, Just to let you know, the party, that would be the Democrat Party, has pushed for the measure to raise pay for essential workers during the coronavirus pandemic and combat racial and gender pay inequity. So when they think of uh, the measure to raise pay for essential workers, I'm thinking nurses, doctors, first responders. But what are they going to do about electricians, farmers, and uh, those that are, are doing their best to, to, to scratch out a living in other industries that are not, well, I mean, think about grocery workers, think about restaurant people. Are they thinking of that Was they're coming up with this Raise the Wage Act? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and President Joe Biden all support the legislation. That's what the, um, you know, that's hitting the wires and talking about this across the nation today. Um, the vast majority of Republicans have opposed the measure, and many small businesses worry it could hinder them while they struggle during the pandemic. It's like uh, politicians don't see or have not been paying attention that there's a lot of pain going around across the entire American economy from Washington, D.C. all the way here to Guam. It's like they're not paying attention, honestly. Um, I want to kind of quote an interesting, uh, or I want to share with you an interesting quote. Uh, Two years ago, a fellow Cal State Bakersfield alum and the current minority leader in the U.S. House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, he wrote in the Daily Signal on the minimum wage issue, And I think it makes a lot of sense. Quote, ultimately, it would mean the difference between a few individuals getting a modest pay raise while others are left with no paycheck at all. Unquote. When we think of what's happening now, many Americans are working paycheck to paycheck. You don't have to go far through the streets um, in St. Thomas. You don't have to go far if you go down Dockside in Pongo Pongo. Maybe if you're walking along Middle Road or down in the tourist district in Saipan or even along Marine Drive in Guam, there's a lot of people that are looking to get back to work. And people are concerned about the, the current health of our economies and the health of the economies moving forward. Is minimum wage law or is the policy that's being dictated an ocean and a almost a whole country away is it good for all of us? There are many people that would say that there is not, uh, well, one, this is not the time to start doing this. I mean, uh, President Barack Obama made the attempt um, to make uh, an increase to the uh, federal minimum wage during his term, and it was just to $10 an hour. It was unsuccessful. And a lot of it has to do with timing and and how the rest of the world market and world economy is going to react. And what do we do as small businesses to to um, help our employees? How do we take care of their families? By you know, for here, if we raise the minimum wage and the small amount of folks in the workforce again four percent, it's going to really cause a more of a ripple to those who are already making above the minimum wage. This is such a complex and such an important uh, important uh, policy consideration. We hope that um, once this uh, repeal for the local law is, not repeal, but a uh, delay 
uh, it'll allow some time. It was even a question, would they consider pushing it even beyond March 2021? Well, there's been a lot of experts have said uh, between uh, not just Guam, but in other states, including Hawaii, our closest neighbor, that we can't expect economic activity to increase um, back to our pre-COVID levels until at least the year 2024. That is such a long way. And with policy, they have to be considerate of the impacts over time. That's it. That's all. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this podcast. Have a great one, and we will talk to you soon. The That's It, That's All podcast is produced by Sean Gamatato. Executive producer is Trisha Gamatato. Hit the subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Thanks for listening.